So we were going through the series on walking with Jesus. And last week, we heard a little bit about how Jesus upset the scribes by turning the temple system upside down as he talked about forgiving people's sins or forgiving the paraplegic sins. And in a moment, we're going to hear about him upsetting the scribes again, making a little bit of a habit of it. So please stand as we read the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please have a seat. So I'm going to ask you a little bit of an um, intrusive question, but I wonder if you have any addictions. Um, you don't have to shout them out right now, but um, a, a few years ago, actually, I was talking to one of my sons, and I happened to say to him that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find my phone. And, and then we began to talk about it, and I was sort of mentioned kind of in passing that it rarely goes longer than 10 minutes uh, without me checking my phone. Um, just a quick check, even if I'm working on my computer, you know, whatever, I'm always, always checking it. And I have definite anxiety when I can't find it anywhere. And I don't really like leaving the house without it. And I'm, you know, I, this isn't the way I grew up. So it's not something which has been built into me through the years, but I have become quite anxious about it. And he laughed and he said, Mom, you're addicted to your phone. And I said, no, 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 of course I'm not addicted. That's a really strong word. That's a word which implies, you know, something very, very bad. And he said, well, go and look it up. So, of course, I rushed to my phone and, um, and started to look it up. And I, I came across there are seven criteria for addiction. And in order to qualify to be addicted to something, you have to fulfill three of these. And I'll go through these very quickly. One of them is that your tolerance keeps increasing. You want more of something. Withdrawal, it's hard to stop. Overdoing it. Um, do you sometimes, on your phone or whatever else it is, do more of something than you want to do so that later on you regret it? Uh, number four, if you know there are negative consequences, do you keep going anyway? Number five, do you neglect activities with friends or family in order to do this thing? Does it use up significant time or energy? Do you want to stop but can't? Yeah, I was pretty addicted to my phone. And I had to kind of name it and say, yeah, I, it, this is more than simply a tool. It's something which is drawing something more out of me. So I wonder what yours is. Do you have an addiction? It could be... One of the more common ones, eating or drinking to excess, porn, video games, but maybe it's to control or being heard, an addiction to being in charge, an addiction to being self-fulfilled. 
Another way that somebody put it is that if there is something we are not willing to give up in order to make our lives fuller or more healthy, it probably can be classed as an addiction. Now, I regret, I'm not saying that we get to give up on email. Um, that's just not going to work in this day and age. But why was it so important for me to check it so often? What is it saying about my internal world? I had to then go away and spend a little bit of time thinking about it. Why am I so driven to checking all the time? I began to realize that I had a bit of a hunger to be connected. I wanted to be connected to everybody. I had a hunger to be needed. I also had this kind of anxious desire not to get left behind, but to stay on top of things. And in some ways, many of those things are not bad in themselves, but they can escalate and can deepen your anxiety and your desire to stay on top. And sometimes, as we do look at the things which drive us, we need to dig a little bit deeper to see what it is that is motivating us, what it is that we're searching for. What is it that is making me behave in a way which is simply revealing a lack of satisfaction in being a beloved daughter of Jesus, a daughter of the King. And so having taken stock, I did reassess, and I then began to put in a few parameters and became conscious that when I find myself doing that out of hunger, I need to feed my hunger by going to Jesus, not by turning to my phone. But then I put some blockades in place as well. I, I put in some parameters, some technology-free spaces in my life, and I made a note to keep an eye on this, to watch it. As we look at our scripture, Jesus goes, having healed the paraplegic and forgiven his sins last week, he goes out to the beach, the beach by the lake of shore of Galilee, and he calls Levi, a member of the really unpopular local profession of tax collectors. And he calls Levi and he tells him to follow him. And then he invites Levi and all his friends to dinner, explaining the invitation to the scribes as it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I enjoy the way that Jesus then goes on and talks about a wedding. So you've got the words coming up and it says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to them, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, I want us to take a moment now just to look at two things. First of all, the way that Jesus invites us to feast with him in a new relationship. And then secondly, the warning that he gives about the dangers of heading back into old habits. Let's look first of all at how Jesus invites us. He uses an analogy of a wedding putting himself in the role of bridegroom, and the wedding is his time on earth. And he talks about the joy of feasting with him. 
Don't you love the way that Jesus is beginning this kingdom? He began it with a bit of healing and forgiveness, and now he's inviting people to come to be with him, to enjoy good food and good wine, to delight in stories, feasting with sinners. He's not preaching at them. I'm sure good conversations flowed over dinner, but he's not rebuking his guests. Nobody invites guests in to tell them off or to tell them that they're bad people. He invited them into relationship. And he notes the fact that they're sick. He notes the fact that they need healing. And this same invitation to relational feasting is one that he extends to us. When we come with our addictions and our deepest places of sadness and all the things that sort of mess us up, he invites us to come in just as he invited Levi, who might not have been, but is, they always thought that tax collectors were pretty dishonest in those days and were feathering their nests. He invited Levi with all his baggage to come and have dinner. Many of us are engaged in having common tables at the moment. And on Friday, we invited some of our neighbors in, and six of them came in and ate with us. And we feasted, and we told stories, and we heard a little bit about each other's lives. Didn't go quite as deep as we might do in the future, but we began to form and build relationships. I love the way that Jesus invites people to get to know him. And in doing so, he says he will get to the root causes of their addictions. And he also inaugurates a feast, which is the beginning of a feast which is going to last into eternity. That'll begin and end all true feasting. But even as Jesus invites us to feast, he notes a sound of warning. And he warns the scribes and us about the temptations of going backwards stepping into the past, regressing into unhealthy patterns or behaviors which are incompatible with this new kingdom. He has already told them and indicated that the temple system has gone, and this is a fresh wine, a new paradigm, a direct relationship with God without intermediaries, hands-on, touchworthy. He's saying you can't simply add me on to the things that you were doing before. This has to be completely new. And I think the choice of wedding imagery is particularly helpful here. We saw it when we were at our son's wedding the other, a couple of weeks ago. Haley and Adam came together to form something new. It's a great example because it gives us an opportunity to curb our desires. It's a commitment to focus our attention on one other person, on one critical relationship. When you get married, it's a huge yes, which holds with it a whole host of no's. Takes you into a place where other options are simply no longer options. And this is the kind of relationship Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a great big yes, which does have some other no's as consequences. Those commitments in marriage bring a decision for lifelong monogamy, but it doesn't spare us, however, from temptation and Jesus is warning in this passage against the temptation of having your feet in two different camps. You can't do it in a faithful marriage. It's not possible in life. So we have often, although we try to compromise, sometimes we hope that we can keep our addictions secret, our habits of unkindness or greed disguised, our passionate desire to be first 
or to be in the limelight just for a moment or two, under wraps. We want to keep it all quietly inside us and not quite face it. Our hunger for significance sometimes tempts us to try and force God's hand to help him out with a few little maneuvers of our own to get ahead in the way that we deserve. And so I love that passage from Hebrews that we heard earlier. This idea of the Holy Spirit grabbing a sword and piercing it in between our, in our skin, between joints and marrow. Such a deep, visceral kind of feeling. Can you almost feel it? As the Holy Spirit comes and separates out the intentions of our hearts from the behaviors of our bodies. I encourage you to look inside yourself, to think about where there are those temptations to have your foot in two camps, and to ask the Holy Spirit to simply dig at them and to bring them to the surface, to expose your deepest lusts and desires, to show us what is driving you to particular behaviors which you suspect are not for your best. I love the fact that the writer to the Hebrews softens the tone a little bit. And he goes on and he says, Jesus understands. Jesus was a man. Jesus was tempted. Jesus knew what it felt like to be human. He just happened not to sin. And therefore, he can be the one who will come to know you, who will touch your deep places of need. So today, Jesus is standing in front of each one of us and offering that same choice he offered to the scribes. Will you Feast with me, uniquely with me? Will my opinion of you matter to you more than that of anyone else? Do you believe me when I say that I love you and that you're enough? When I invite you into rest and delight? So if you are a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to think, what are the no's that ever tempt you to turn away from the big yes? Where is it your feet are in two places? And what I love is this isn't a kind of pressure to do or be or anything more. It's simply an invitation to feast, to be in a relationship, to laugh, to be in his company. And so today, if you know Jesus, as the psalmist says, hold fast. Hold fast to who you know he is. He doesn't condemn. He invites you. He invites you to hold fast to faithfulness and knowing that you are known and enough. He invites you to hold fast to knowing that you are forgiven, to hold fast to knowing that you are loved, to hold fast to being invited into feasting and delight and healing from the only one who can really heal us. If you have a weary body or an aching heart or an overstressed mind, come and feast by holding on to Jesus. Come and feast with community. You can get a little taste of it by coming with us to the lost dog immediately after the service. There's an option to be in community as you feast. And if you don't know Jesus yet, can I encourage you to make that your priority? When we come to the communion table later on, there's an opportunity to ask Jesus to make you into a new wineskin, to fill you with new wine, to transform your life into one of feasting to one where you can hold fast to his hand. It's really easy to do. And if you do happen to do that at the table tonight, come and talk to me afterwards or go to a prayer team at the back and tell them, don't go home without sharing the fact that you are 
stepping into a feasting relationship with Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you know our addictions. I thank you that you know the things that drive us sometimes to no's, to rejecting the offers you make us, to feast, to be known, to be delighted in. And I ask for myself and for each of my friends here tonight that if there are places where we are saying no, that you will put your finger on it, dive that sword into our marrows and expose the places where we are hungering for things which are not of you. Father, I thank you that we are always invited to feast with Jesus. Amen.